Coming up this evening on NTD Business. President Biden taking a hard look at cancelling student debt. But who's going to be on the hook? How's inflation impacting company earnings and stocks? We take a look at Twitter, Ford and GM. One Texas rancher is offering Elon Musk 100 acres of land for free to relocate Twitter's headquarters. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. President Biden says he's seriously considering cancelling some student loan debt, but not as much as some Democrats are calling for. Here's the president. I am considering dealing with some debt reduction. I am not considering $50,000 debt reduction, but I'm in the process of taking a hard look at whether or not there are going to, there will be additional debt forgiveness, and uh, I'll have an answer on that in the next couple weeks. Loan forgiveness means telling students they don't need to pay back the money the government loaned them to go to college. It sounds nice, but it's really just transferring the financial burden to all Americans. That's in the form of higher national debt. Many Republican lawmakers are against canceling it, five GOP senators yesterday, introducing a proposal that would prevent Biden from canceling student loans. If passed, it would also end the current freeze on student loan payments. That freeze started in March 2020 to help borrowers through the pandemic. It is set to expire in August. GOP lawmakers argue that unemployment is no longer at pandemic levels, and so it's time for borrowers to start paying again. Right now, Americans with student loans owe about $36,000 to the government on average, according to one estimate. With us live is Steve Moore, former White House economic advisor, now the co-founder of Committee to Unleash Economic Prosperity. Steve, thank you. Thank you for having me. It seems like a pretty risky move politically, Steve. Well, it's probably bad politics, but it's even worse economics. I mean, you're talking about, uh, we don't know the exact number, somewhere in around 1.5 trillion, not 1.5 billion, 1.5 trillion dollars of unpaid student loan uh, debt. And it's not forgiveness, it's basically, as you just said, it's shifting the burden from the people who borrowed the money to you and I and all the taxpayers. This, where's the government gonna get this money? It's just gonna borrow more money, which is gonna make inflation worse. And by the way, if they were to do this plan, would anybody ever in the rest of history pay, pay their student loans when the government's just gonna forgive you for them? So we're gonna have problems in the short term and long term if we do this. You think of the short term they're trying to stimulate the economy in the run up to the election? That's no, this is no uh, stimulus, you know? I mean, the debt and the overspending in Washington is what's causing the economic problems in the first place. As you know, we got a really disappointing um, number for the first quarter of GDP, which was negative 1.4%. We should be growing at about five or 6% given that COVID is basically over. We got businesses reopened, people going back to jobs, restaurants, hotels open again. And so I just don't understand how the economy could be doing so poorly. So explain that, Steve. How exactly does this debt that we've heard so much about recently drag on economic growth? Because it's causing inflation. We've been spending way more money, trillions of dollars more money than we're taking in. That floods the economy with cheap dollars. Um, the Fed accommodates that by printing more dollars. And that, you know, the definition of inflation 
is uh, too many dollars in the economy chasing too few goods. That's exactly what we have right now. That's why when I hear uh, President Biden yesterday saying we need to, you know, bail out $1.5 trillion of loans, and then just today, this morning, he said, uh, well, we need $33 billion more for Ukraine. Now, we may or may not need that money. I'm not an expert on Ukraine, but why can't we cut other government spending rather than continuing to borrow and borrow and borrow when we already have a $30 trillion national debt? Where do you think the money for, like you said, trillions of dollars, if it is canceled, is it going to come from higher taxes? Are we just going to print it up and, and add to the money supply? Well, just yesterday, Chuck Schumer, who's the Democratic leader of the Senate, said we should have a major tax increase. So how are you going to get the economy to form, perform better when we have a negative number uh, on, the, uh, on the growth by raising taxes? Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I think our economics is upside down right now in Washington. Uh, I, I'm a little biased. I did work for Donald Trump, but we cut taxes, reduced the regulations on our businesses. We had better trade deals. We produced American energy. All of these things that actually made the economy very healthy. I think we've got to get back to those kind of pro-business, pro-worker uh, policies and not continue to expand the size and scope of the uh, federal government. But which resonates with voters in an election year? Say that again? Which resonates with voters in election year, <laughs> these policies that well, we're looking at are the ones you're discussing? I mean, look, voters love when politicians play Santa Claus. That's why, you know, politicians love to play Santa Claus. But I'll tell you this, people are very angry about the inflation problem right now. Sure. I mean, every time I go to the gas pump, every time I go to the grocery store or the cash register, people will come up to me and say, you know, what the heck is going on with this economy? So if I were Joe Biden and the Democrats, I would make for both policy reasons, you know, for the good of the economy, but also for their own political self-survival, I would get that inflation under control. I am old enough to remember 1980 when Ronald Reagan beat uh, an incumbent Democratic president, Jimmy Carter. And the main reason that Reagan won that landslide election was people were so fed up with the high inflation. Well, I've got 10 seconds, Steve. How long is the high inflation going to stick around for? It depends. It's impossible to answer that question because it depends on what the Federal Reserve Board does, what Congress does, and I don't think all, any of us right now but will be watching very, very carefully. We'll have you back to discuss with more time. Steve <laughs> okay. Moore, Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Thank you very much. Like we said, GDP data out today, it unexpectedly fell 1.4% in the first quarter. But investment firm First Trust says it doesn't mean a recession has already started. It says the Fed still has a lot more to do before monetary policy is tight enough to induce a recession. But the drop is a big change from the final quarter of last year when the measure grew nearly 7%. The decline in the GDP was driven by a drop in private inventory investments, mainly cars and government spending. That includes defense spending, wasn't as high. Imports surged, meaning net exports went down. That's negative for growth. But consumer spending and business investment and equipment both increased. Wall Street today seemed unfazed by the GDP number, ended much higher, led by the Nasdaq. It rose 383 points, 3 and 1 tenth of a percent. The Dow gained 614 points, 1 and 9 tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 rose 104 points, 2 and a half percent today. Decent day. Facebook's parent company, Meta, surged 18% today after a strong quarterly report. Apple and Amazon both rallied ahead of their earnings reports later in the day. But as Steve and I discussed, we are still seeing very high inflation and supply chain problems worldwide. 
But Ford and GM generally seemed okay during the first quarters, but challenges may lay ahead. Anthony's fifth quarter has more. General Motors and Ford both beat Wall Street expectations on the bottom line, despite a common problem. We anticipate other inflationary pressures to continue, impacting a broad range of costs. We recognize the consumer is facing inflationary pressures. The world is currently facing high inflation and supply chain problems. So you're kind of lining yourself up for recession um, type of situation, and that will impact the car manufacturers. Lauren Fix is an automotive expert at Car Coach Reports. Fix says people are struggling to afford the cars they already own and will keep them longer while buying fewer. And again, we've got supply demand issues based on what's going on in Russia. Remember, Russia's the number one supplier of nickel, which is used in batteries. They also are the number one supplier of palladium and platinum, which is using catalytic converters. The supply problems and inflation are hitting other crucial car parts as well. Industrial metals, and, and things that go into that side, aluminum, et cetera. That's now, now they've started breaking down some now, so that, that, but I'm talking about in the last 15 months, those prices have gone up and up and up, and same problem we have the semiconductor side. Ted Oakley is the founder of Oxbow Advisors. Oakley believes we are in a bear market, and the auto industry stocks will go down with everyone else. They go down, hit a low, they rally, and they may rally 10 or 12% sometimes, seven or eight, and people think, hey, it's all over, and then it goes to a lower low. America's inflation rate is currently at 8.5%. Faye Quarter, NTD News. And Twitter reported first quarter earnings and what could be one of its last public reports, if not the last. Could take a few months for Elon Musk's acquisition to fully close, but Twitter believes it'll happen this year. Revenue was up compared to the same quarter last year, and a key performance indicator for Twitter, monetizable daily active users, was also up. It had an average number of monetizable daily active users of 229 million, up 16% from the same quarter last year, and even higher than analyst estimates. And just days after Twitter accepted Tesla CEO Elon Musk's offer to purchase the social media firm, a Texas rancher is offering the billionaire 100 acres of land for free to move Twitter to the Lone Star State. Anthony's Chenny Wu has the story. With billionaire Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter earlier this week, comes the possibility that the social media company's headquarters could join Musk's other three companies, Tesla, SpaceX and the Boring Company in Texas. And one Texan rancher has made a proposal supporting that move. Jim Shortner is offering Musk 100 acres of land worth an estimated $10 million for free. He tweeted the offer Tuesday, asking Musk to move the Twitter headquarters to Shortner, Texas, an area 38 miles north of the state's capital, Austin. But why? America's waking up. Uh, I feel a change in the air. Shortner believes that Musk's takeover of Twitter could change the dynamics of this country, saying that less censorship could promote communication and understanding between people from opposite sides of the political spectrum. You may not agree with me, I may not agree with you, but we need to have a dialogue. And so I, I just really like what Elon's doing. Texas Governor Greg Abbott tweeted about Shortner's offer, adding that he would declare the area a free speech zone and maybe even rename it Twitter Texas. Shortner adds that the move would promote the economy and support the local community. Uh, it'll take a little work, but uh, this area is growing already and there's a lot of work been done in the last 20 years, so I think we're ready to go. Musk has yet to respond to the offer. Chenny Wu, NTD News.
Can all those Zoom and Skype meetings at work be costing you your creativity and innovative ideas? Plus, with new research by Nature.com says, the bottom line is in-person meetings not only help people generate more ideas, but the ideas are also more creative. One factor is team members communicate better in person with more visual cues from the environment and each other, whereas in a virtual meeting, you're pretty much just stuck staring at a screen, often ignoring the environment. You're also more active when meeting in person, moving and walking around, which also apparently adds to creativity. And this is the hot topic all over Wall Street. Should employees be working from home or working in the office? Reportedly, big bank J.P. Morgan is now giving in, allowing some of its workers to come to the office less so they can work virtually. Didis Phil Zoe reports. Working from home or working in the office, that's the big question since the pandemic started two years ago. And we've gotten used to uh, a sense of comfort of working from our house. Uni Turatini is a human connection expert. One topic she covers is employee well-being. We've gotten used to not being, uh, having to commute back and forth to work, which leaves us more time to, to actually work and also more time to spend with our friends and family. George Rando is a partner at Talent War Group and has over 20 years of experience at Fortune 100 companies. He agrees. You know, I'd be at work at 6.37 in the morning after I left the gym, but when I was coming home, it was rush hour traffic. I would lose anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes of productivity a day, and I would have to plan for that. That could be one reason why bankers at J.P. Morgan are pushing back on its return to office mandate. According to Business Insider, some departments used to require three days a week back in the office. Now it's been reduced to only two days a week. Personally, um, I prefer having some in-person time. Christopher Abbas knows a few things about managing workers, scaling his team from zero to 100 employees since the pandemic started. So I would start by you know, asking people, what do you want to do? Um, and then use the data to inform your decisions. Um, and that's really how every company should work. Major banks like Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase have said in the past the ultimate goal is for more workers to return five days a week. Our experts say there's merit to that. Connection can be done virtually or in person. Now, it's always better when we can connect in person, seeing people, looking each other in the eyes and communicating also uh, observing our body language. There is a big benefit to having people back together, breaking bread. You can't replace those drive-by conversations at the water cooler, in the kitchen, getting coffee or getting refreshments or eating lunch. There's a certain value to that. Phil Zoe, NTD News, New York. And rising interest rates have made adjustable rate mortgages a more popular way to buy a home. Shaw Marshall explains. Home buyers are applying for arms or adjustable rate mortgages as interest rates rise and it's getting harder to qualify. The number of arms has doubled in just the past three months. Arms typically start with a lower interest rate than fixed rate mortgages, but arm interest rates can go up or down after the initial fixed rate period ends. I spoke with Greg McBride of Bankrate.com about some of the pros and cons with adjustable rate mortgages. Uh, if you are uh, expected to, to move up to a, another home, maybe you're subject to frequent job transfers, and you're not planning to be there in another seven or 10 years, that adjustable rate mortgage could essentially function like a fixed rate loan for your purposes. You'll never face that first adjustment. 
McBride also said you don't want to be in the position where you're still in the home and still have that loan at the point where interest rates begin to adjust upward. That can not only put pressure on the budget, but you can't automatically assume the ability to refinance your way out of that, particularly if you got into the home with a very small down payment. Arms can be a money-saving option if you plan to pay off the house before the term ends or won't be staying in the house for very long. They start out cheaper, so you can save money over time and invest what would have been used in a fixed-rate mortgage. Beware, though, that costs can rise greatly with just a small mortgage rate increase. Just make sure you can afford the risk and uncertainty. Sean Marshall, NTD News. With home prices through the roof and appraisals on the way, will you be on the hook for higher property taxes? Or even if you're renting, will your landlord be forced to pass on the added cost to you? The property tax debate will happen across the country. But because there's a big governor's race coming up in Texas, it seems it's the first state to address it. James Quintero is a, public, is a policy director at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Asked him if Texas property taxes will rise as fast as home prices have. Thankfully, no. Um, so property values in the Lone Star State are skyrocketing, and, I and that's a fact that many homeowners are getting to know intimately at the moment. Uh, notices of appraised value are showing up in the mail right now, and homeowners are getting a sense of, of just how much their home values have increased. Uh, across the board, we're seeing in the range of 20 to 50% increases, which are absolutely astronomical and unprecedented here in Texas. Uh, what do you think? Is the government there going to say, okay, well, your home value is up by this much. We got to increase your property taxes as much. Yeah, here in Texas, the way the system works is that as the values go up, local officials have the discretion to bring property tax rates down. Now, of course, that's going to take some petitioning on the part of taxpayers. They're going to have to go out and talk to their local elected officials and really make it known that the property tax burden as it exists now is too high and it, it, there's a potential for it to go way too high. And so they, as a consequence, they need to bring those rates down. But right now we're, we're just getting in the throes of the process. Uh, things are early, but really the stage is being set for some big, big tax increases in the near future. Because obviously Texans and Americans are suffering through inflation, but even for governments, the prices of everything are going up through inflation as well. Will they be able to afford to go easy on people on their property taxes? Yeah, I absolutely think Texas governments are well positioned to lower the tax burden on the average taxpayer. When you look at state finances, you see that there are massive surpluses anticipated. That's a, a, an indication that uh, states, the state is over collecting. Uh, in fact, in the next legislative session, we're expecting a $15 billion surplus. The Texas Public Policy Foundation would like to see most of that surplus go back down to local taxpayers. Uh, when you look at the state of local public finance, Local governments, too, are over-collecting. You, uh, you see that with their uh, fund balances growing much too big. So I think state and local governments have a really big opportunity to lower the taxes in a major way for this next fiscal year. James Quintero, Texas Public Policy Foundation. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. The federal government charged and arrested the founder of New York-based hedge fund Archegos Capital Management and its former chief financial officer for fraud and racketeering. He appeared in court on Wednesday, pleaded not guilty. Indiris Don Ma has more. 
Archigo's capital management's owner, Bill Huang, and its former chief financial officer, Patrick Holligan, both pleaded not guilty in a federal court in Manhattan on Wednesday. This is what the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission says about the case. Starting in 2020 and continuing through March 2021, Wong and others propped up Archegos as a $36 billion house of cards. They did so by engaging in a constant cycle of, of manipulative trading, by lying to banks to obtain additional trading capacity, and then by using that additional capacity to engage in still more manipulative trading. Archegos, which is a family office, defaulted on margin calls in March of last year. The blow-up cost global banks, including Credit Suisse, Nomura Holdings, Morgan Stanley, and Deutsche Bank more than $10 billion in losses. Prosecutors say it nearly jeopardized our financial system. The scheme was historic in scope. The lies fed the inflation, and the inflation fed more lies. Round and round it went. Huang has 11 counts against him, including racketeering, market manipulation and fraud. And Holligan has three charges against him. If proven, each charge carries a maximum prison sentence of 20 years. This case is yet another example of our commitment to holding individuals, and not just corporate actors, accountable for misleading the markets and financial institutions. Huang and Holligan will make their next court appearance on May 19th. We'll keep you updated. Still to come, stay with us. Oil prices rally. It's on news that Germany is now okay with a ban on Russian oil imports. Chipotle giving a big thank you to healthcare workers. Lots of free food. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Oil prices rallied again today. It's after reports Germany is no longer against the EU banning Russian oil. That could tighten up supplies even more in an already stressed global crude market. Earlier this week, Germany's economy minister said Germany could cope with the UN EU embargo on Russian oil imports. He said they hoped to find ways to replace Russian oil. Before the conflict, Russian oil accounted for about a third of Germany's supply. Reuters reports that Russian oil production could fall as much as 17% this year. Says despite the expected shortfall, the OPEC Plus group, which includes Russia, doesn't plan to ramp up output any faster. And Indonesia should be able to tackle its cooking oil shortage in the next few weeks, according to one trade body. That means the country might lift an export ban on palm oil and its refined products in May. The chief economics minister said the ban could be lifted when bulk cooking oil recedes to 97 cents a liter nationwide, sold for $1.31 to $1.38 a liter in Jakarta's markets today. Markets showed relief Thursday when the ban only covered refined, bleached and deodorized palm oil. 
But a day later, authorities announced other products would be included that had an immediate impact on global vegetable oil prices, sending palm oil futures in Malaysia up by 9.8%. Anxiety spilled over into markets today as the ban took effect. And China's strict zero-COVID restrictions are hurting people's ability to make a stable living. Chinese migrant workers whose livelihoods depend on travel and an open economy are finding it harder and harder to get jobs. Here's Anthony's Don Ma. The livelihoods of migrant workers and day laborers in China have been hit hard. They used to gather at a local labor market on the outskirts of Beijing every morning. They wait for transportation to construction sites and factories. But now the work has slowed to a trickle. And even after hours of waiting, some are not hired. You can ask among the workers. We only have work for around 10 days every month. Migrant workers work and live in cities, but their actual home and household registration is in rural regions. They choose to leave their rural homes to find jobs because there are more job opportunities in big cities. Chinese migrant workers are in a predicament because it's getting increasingly difficult to commute due to travel restrictions. For the commuter pass, you'll need proof of employment, 48-hour COVID-19 test result, proof of residency, and such. But now people are saying it's not being issued anymore. Workers are complaining they can't make a living because they can't move around freely and the economy's on lockdown. During the pandemic, there are very few jobs. It is hard to earn money. We don't earn enough and the city police chase us away. The dilemma is they can't go back home either due to quarantine rules. I cannot go back home. If you go back home, you'll be quarantined. Over 40 Chinese cities are currently in full or partial lockdowns. The lockdowns involve strict movement curbs and are affecting lives of over 340 million Chinese people. Don Ma, NTD News. And an emperor penguin colony has a new metallic member. This tiny robot named Echo is in Antarctica living with penguins as it gathers information. The unmanned ground vehicles will help scientists study the vulnerability of marine ecosystems. The team says this will help them collect data year-round while having less impact on the animals overall. The researchers also say the penguins appear to be getting along well with Echo. Free Chipotle for a year? Yes, please. Chipotle Mexican Grill is thanking healthcare heroes in a big way, giving 2,000 of them free burritos, bowls, or whatever else their hearts desire for an entire year. That's more than a million dollars in free food. If you know a hero in healthcare, post on Chipotle social media, tag your hero there, share a little bit of what would they have done for you and how they've impacted your life. You've only got till May 6th, though, as National Nurses Day. And Chipotle will randomly select 2,000 people who've been tagged, DM them, and voila, free Chipotle for a year. It's a tasty way to thank the people who spend their lives taking care of others. That's a nice note to end today's show. It's the latest from the Entity Business Team and myself, Paul Graney. You can still catch Entity Evening News, though. It's with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For Entity Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.